You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this teaching on the righteousness of faith. Such a very important series. I think we're going to get into some things in this teaching that are really going to relate to you. I know they really do relate to me. Righteousness is a gift, not a wage. Um, Oh gosh, 30 years ago or so, I got invited to go to an OU football game. Now at the time, I was not an OU fan. I've become more of an OU fan since that time, but at the time, I wasn't. And But I had a friend who worked at a bank, and uh, one of his board members was uh, a very uh, well-respected donor at uh, OU, and uh, he had special tickets uh, to the ball games, every home game. Uh, If you had these tickets, not only did you get the seats, but you also got to go to a special uh, uh, hospitality area that the average person did not get to go to or ever see. And what was interesting to me, I had been a Texas Longhorn fan for many years and and kind of uh, over time eventually converted over to being a Sooner fan. But at this time, I still had a lot of of, uh, softness in my heart for the Longhorns. And I, I thought, isn't this crazy? Here I am in this special hospitality area at, uh, at, uh, the OU football game, and I had just read how that an all-American quarterback who played at OU had gone to the stadium for a game and tried to get into that area. I saw his picture on the wall up in that hospitality area. He couldn't even see it. They wouldn't even let him there. Didn't matter that he played there. Didn't matter that he was an all-American there. He didn't have special access that was available only to certain donors. I had access there, and I didn't deserve a bit of it. And the irony of that was not lost on me. I thought, wow, that is a great picture of our righteousness. If anybody ever deserved to go up into that area, it should have been this guy. Uh, He was at that time the lieutenant governor of the state of Oklahoma. They wouldn't let him up there. didn't matter. Uh, and, and so it may not have been fair, may not have been right, may not have seemed right, but it was the policy. Well, God's policy is this. We don't deserve it, but we have been given this gift of righteousness. And it's not something that we earned by anything that we did. It was bestowed upon us out of God's own generosity. Romans 5, 17, I'm reading from the New International Version. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, earlier I said righteousness is not to be confused with holiness. There are some people who do not have a whole lot of faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made for them, but 
They personally have amazingly moral habits. They watch their language. They are uh, they abstain from every form of vice. Uh, they don't use any substances. They, they they're incredibly holy. They have an outward holiness. And consequently, their faith is in what they do and how they live. It's not so much in the righteousness of God. God calls us to holy lives, make no mistake about it, but holiness and righteousness are two different things. Righteousness is a state or a condition that we enter into by faith in the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Now, here's where we get the definition. Uh, I'm going to give it to you from W.A. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. It is the character or quality of being right or just. Formerly, it was spelled right-wiseness, which clearly expresses the meaning. So right-wise. It's a relational word. In other words, righteousness is not something that I can have apart from how I connect to somebody else. Righteousness is very much a relational word. It means right-wise. I am right in someone's eyes. I'm right in God's eyes. Why am I right? It is because I have faith in the sacrifice that he set forward. He set forth a sacrifice for me. If I come to him on the basis of my own good works, my own righteousness, I'm offering my own substitution, and it isn't accepted because my righteousness is as a filthy rag. It doesn't count. Why? Because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even if we died for our own sins, it wouldn't be enough. Death is something that we deserved. But Christ, who did not deserve death, bought my salvation and my righteousness, and God has made that available to me by asking. Oh man, what a great thing he did. Now, those things that are hard fought for or, or that are costly to obtain, they're not given up easily. They're not cheap. What Jesus had to do to get this righteousness was he had to be put into the hands of God's enemy. And that's essentially what happened that night in Gethsemane. He prayed, he had great sweat drops of blood that came out of his pores because he was agonizing over, uh, is there another way? And, and when he realizes, I, I have no other way, I have to go through this, uh, that one last time angels came and ministered to him there in Gethsemane. But after that, he, he's got no help. There's no help from anybody after that. Uh, mankind was at its worst when Jesus was at its best. Even God had to step back and permit darkness to run over him. And that's what we see. We see this intense satanic hatred manifested toward the Son of God. He is becoming obedient to death. He's allowing death to take him. And death and Satan are, are merciless in all of this. Our right standing with God cost Jesus a great deal of suffering, suffering that no other human being has ever known because of the agony of what was going on even in his soul. The image 
of our Heavenly Father then is often clouded by our own misguided emotions and feelings because we don't believe that we are accepted with God even though Christ made this great sacrifice simply because of something that we feel. Now, as a new believer, I did not feel righteous. On occasions, when I would go to pray, if I just happened to hit an emotional flow and weep a little bit when I was praying at the altar, I felt like it was God saying, I love you, I accept you. But the crazy thing is, 12 hours later, the next day, I felt nothing and I felt as though God was somehow upset with me. And so I lived on this roller coaster. If I felt good, if I got into corporate worship and we were all praising God and there was a sense of God's goodness, I could tap into that. I could feel that. But you know what? You can get feelings like that at a rock concert. That doesn't mean you're right with God. And so the emotional things that we often feel, those things don't mean that you're right with God. I have had opportunity to be a part of great victories in football games and, and, and being the founder of a Christian school with a great football program. We've had some amazing games over the years. We had a game last season where we were down by a little less than a touchdown, and we had 43 seconds to go, no timeouts, and the opposing team kicked the ball to our fastest kid. And uh, he, he ran it almost all the way back, and then a couple of plays later we scored a touchdown and won. The exhilaration was amazing. There was just something amazing that melded the whole crowd, all of our fans together. There was a, it was exhilarating. And so there was great emotion, and that happens in the church world. We have these feelings of great emotion from time to time, and we are quick to believe then. We're righteous. God loves me. He accepts me. But did you know that when you feel as though he's a million miles away, you are still righteous in his eyes? Because your righteousness is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Now, this lack of righteousness awareness results in a perpetual state of self-condemnation. And I can tell you who, who struggled with this a lot, because you can tell it by what he wrote. Read the book of Psalms. David lived in a perpetual state of self-condemnation. Now, there are times when he's feeling the highest of highs. I can tell by reading the Psalms that David is a very emotional man. And he's got some amazingly powerful emotions that are positive, And he's got some amazingly negative emotions, which are downers. And you can see it in things that he wrote. And, and God permitted him to write all this stuff because God wanted us to see the roller coaster of human emotion and the human experience. Guess what? David was not born again. He never fully lost the consciousness of sins. Now, he had these moments where he felt the presence of God, but he never had the sin stain removed from his heart. This is what he's prayed in Psalm 51, 12, Living Bible Paraphrase. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. 
This is a cry of David saying, I don't have great feelings right now. So he was in self-condemnation a great deal of the time. Why? Because he was an Old Testament believer. He did not live at the time of the full work of Christ being done. Hebrews 10.4, New King James Version. Listen to what it says. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now, let me tell you where the sin had to be taken from. Two places. In your own heart, there was evidence of the sin. God forgave us in the Old Testament, and He legally did not condemn us because He's looking forward to Christ. And so we are legally forgiven, but not vitally changed. The sin is still there. We've got a legal covering, but the sin is still there. We vitally still had mankind, I'm saying when I say we, (coughs) mankind had, (coughs) pardon me, the stain of sin still in his heart. And the stain of sin was also in the heavens. Now let's read the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. That means that the Old Testament saints didn't have it. If the good things to come is what Christ came to get, then that means it didn't happen until after he died. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So Christ came to do a work of cleansing in a temple or tabernacle that's not on this earth. He didn't do it with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Where is that holy place? It's before the throne of God. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here in this passage, the writer of Hebrews, whom I believe to be the Apostle Paul, makes it very, very clear there are two places of cleansing. The first place was in heaven. So in the courts of heaven, we were legally cleansed. Secondly, we are vitally cleansed in our own spirits. The consciousness of sin is taken away. You know, that's the reason that God gave the right of circumcision to the people of the Old Testament. The reason is because it was the cutting away of something that kept us from being pure in the sight of God. So the male would be circumcised. And, and, and the reason it's the male, not the female, is because sin passes through the male. That's why Christ was born of a virgin. And even though he was in a woman's body and his little body was created there, planted inside Mary's womb and, and developed and born, he didn't come out with a sin nature because it's not the woman who gives the sin nature to the baby. It's the father. And so that's the reason that God had circumcision done on the male because he wanted us to see that the sin is past and death is past from generation to generation from father to children, not the mother, but to the children. Now the mother herself is under sin because she's born from a father that passed this on to her. But the cleansing is is when the circumcision is 
cut away, or the and 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 what happened is Christ cut that away, he took something away from the spirit. So now we're circumcised in heart, and that was Paul's big argument. Uh, that's why he didn't like it when Jewish people began to teach some of the Gentiles they had to be circumcised in the flesh, and he took great exception to that because he's saying, listen, that was only a picture of the real circumcision of the heart. And you know, we think of this inward change, the circumcision of the heart, we think of that as something symbolic, and the reason we think it's symbolic is because we don't see it. But it's very real. It's absolutely real. It really does happen. It really does take place inside of us. If you could see the miracle of the changed spirit and of the sin being cut away from your human spirit, you would realize what a miracle it is. It's not just a symbolic thing. It is a literal and spiritual thing that takes place in your heart. Well, we have been made righteous not because we earned it, but because of the substitutionary death of Christ. We need to live in the awareness of that. And whether we feel it or not, whether our emotions confirm it or not, it is the truth. We'll talk more about this in the next section of this lesson. Welcome back. We're talking about the righteousness of faith. Now, righteousness, we established in the first part of this lesson, is a gift. You don't earn it. It's not something that you deserve or merit. It is a complete gift from God. A gift, then, has to be received and acknowledged. What would you think if you really worked hard and sacrificed to come up with a gift for someone, and maybe it's the most costly thing that you've ever done. And, and what if it's something that you worked on for a long time and put a lot of thought into? A lot of people give gifts very flippantly. They give things that they like, but they don't stop to think about what you like. And we love to get gifts from people who put themselves in our shoes. And so when we get the gift, we realize, oh, he really did think about me, or she really did think about me. And uh, that's what makes a good gift. And when it's a sacrifice, and you can see someone really went out of their way to get you this gift, that's what makes it special. Well, what if you gave a gift like that to someone, and they didn't even say thank you? They barely acknowledged it. Wouldn't that be disappointing to you? Do you know this is exactly how many of God's own children treat Him every day, all the time. They rarely acknowledge their gift of righteousness. Now, they may say thank you for forgiveness of sins, but can I tell you, righteousness is so much more than the forgiveness of sins. Uh, many believers, then, do not have an awareness of righteousness because they never really acknowledge it. Now, if you're like me, you didn't feel like what you had was really real unless you had a strong feeling for it. The strong feeling was what convinced you that you had this. You felt like God loved you because you felt a strong feeling of His love. 
Some of us have an easier time of that than others. But can I tell you, it doesn't really matter how you're wired, whether you have great emotions or you don't have great emotions. It doesn't change the reality of the situation. It is what God says that matters. It's what He decrees that is important. He bases nothing on our emotions. Listen to Ephesians 2.8, King James Version. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Your salvation has nothing to do with you yourself. It's not just talking about works. It's also talking about your emotions. Your emotions are just your emotions. They are, boy, get a load of this. Your emotions are not authorized to speak for God. I'm going to say that again. Your emotions are not authorized to speak for God. Some days you may not feel his presence emotionally. You're down, you're low, and you think, oh man, he must not be uh, happy with me. That is not the truth. Your righteousness with God does not change. It is steady. It is a gift. God gave us the gift of righteousness. Uh, That's so very important. So they're not authorized to speak from God. We have no directive from God in His Word anywhere that we are to gauge where we stand with Him on the basis of how we feel. Uh, one of the most fascinating stories, and it's negative, but, but it is a fascinating story to me, is how the serial killer Ted Bundy was able to kill so many women. And the reason that he was able to do it is because he was a charmer. He didn't appear to be a threat. He made women feel very comfortable. He was a nice-looking guy. He was an engaging guy. And women lowered their guard around him. And when they least expected it, he became violent and he murdered them. And that was the thing that confused so many people. It is he seemed like such a nice guy. You can't always trust your emotions. There could have been uh, maybe a guy down the street who comes to maybe do some work for you at your house, and he's a little bit brusque, and and you might you know uh, have him do this yard work for you, and you think, man, I don't like that guy, uh, but he might be a very good person and might do a great job and poses no threat to you at all, but you don't feel good about it. And it's amazing how many people get totally fooled by their feelings. I remember years ago, we were doing a, a, a building program, and uh, the project manager brought me three different construction companies to talk to us about how they would do our building. And the first two guys, I really, really liked. I gelled with them. I thought, we can work with these guys. The third guy, I didn't like him. Didn't like him at all. Didn't like the way I felt around him. Guess what? The third guy had the best company. The third guy did the best work. We didn't do our first building with him, but we eventually did do buildings with him, and his company did us a great job. I went mainly by how I felt when I was in the presence of these men. I had no experience in building buildings. I didn't know anything about construction or the process. I didn't know how to read whether people had the ability to do what they said they could do. Now, later on, I developed 
that. But I was completely fooled by my feelings. And I have learned down through the years, you can't always go by your feelings. You go by faith. You go by facts. And God has given us a great salvation that is based upon facts. Now listen to this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. That's the Revised Standard Version of 2 Corinthians 5.16. Then we go on to the next verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new is come. New what? New character, new nature, new desires, new willingness. Born-again people receive a new nature whether or not they feel it. And, and you feel it some days and you don't feel it other days. Now, there's some people, bless their hearts, they have great feelings all the time, and that's wonderful. We're not all wired that way. Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 4, 26 translations. Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature now that you have fled from the corruption in the world resulting from human passions, lust, and greed. Now, here's what we see. God has given us these amazing promises, but these promises don't do us any good until we acknowledge them and receive them. Now think about that for a minute. Someone could promise to put a big sum of money on deposit in the bank, and all you got to do is go claim it. But until you go to claim it, you don't get the benefit of that money. Legally, it might be yours. It may be physically present there. But until you go and lay claim to it and take charge of it, it is not yours. It's not yours vitally. It may be yours legally. Uh, the newspaper, several times a year, will publish notices of people who have things coming to them, inheritances or property that belongs to them, and they've not yet claimed it. It's legally theirs, but it is not vitally theirs because they've not yet claimed it. It could be that a distant relative left them something they're totally unaware of, or maybe a friend or a neighbor. Uh, Spurgeon tells the story of going to visit a little woman who was a poor parishioner, uh, all she'd done is clean houses, and she worked in other people's homes. She was totally illiterate. And he went by her house one day to visit her because she was such a faithful lady, and he was waiting on her to make tea. And as he's waiting, he looks around her living room, and there on the wall is a framed document. And it's part of the will of the lady that she'd worked for for a number of years, and this document promised all kinds of good things to this woman, including a great deal of money. And Spurgeon began to talk to her about this thing. What is this on the wall? And she said, you know, my mistress left that to me, and it's the only thing I have that she left. Spurgeon said, ma'am, you have a lot more than this. And he helped her to go in and lay claim to everything that she was legally entitled to. So you may have a gift but it is not yours until you develop the awareness. And there are a lot of people who are righteous, but they don't have righteousness awareness. So how do I get righteousness awareness? 
All right, I'm glad you asked that question. So here we go. Philemon 4, 6, King James Version. Listen to this. That the communication of your faith may become effectual. We don't say that anymore. We say effective. That the communication of your faith may become effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You know what we do? Most of us limit our confessions to the confessions of our sins. We rarely ever confess who we are in Christ and what He has done for us. You know what? Righteousness has to be acknowledged. And how do we acknowledge it? We acknowledge it when we speak it. Now listen to this. This is Romans chapter 10 and verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Righteousness has to talk. It doesn't get to do what it was meant to do until the person who has it talks about it. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Three verses after, it talks about the righteousness of faith speaking. He said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, listen to this. When do you confess that Jesus is your Lord? You do it when you're still a sinner. You do it when you still have sins. It is the confessing of the Lordship of Jesus Christ that changes you. You don't make that confession, you don't get the change. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. In other words, what you say with your mouth is what triggers the release of righteousness into your spirit. It's already available to you. Christ died to get it to you. It is a gift for you. It's waiting for you. But it does not become yours until you confess it. So there are a lot of people who have no righteousness awareness, and it is because they never acknowledge that they're righteous. They do not acknowledge the work of Christ that is done for them. You want to feel your salvation? You want to know and experience everything that God's done for you? Why don't you go through the New Testament epistles and read about all of the things that are written there that Christ died to bring us and to give to us? When you begin to acknowledge those things and begin to speak those things, it will blow your mind at how they become so much more real to you, and you will fully enjoy your righteousness. I'm going to read it again. Philemon 4, 6, King James Version, that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Why is it we have such an easy time tearing ourselves down talking about what failures we are. We think that's being humble. It could be a form of substitute religion, your own righteousness. In other words, your own penance you put on a higher level than you do the accepting of God's righteousness, which he made available to you in Christ. And you need to ask yourself, are you living in self-condemnation 
beating yourself up all the time and failing to acknowledge what Jesus did for you. You have created, if you're doing this, your own form of a substitute religion. And even though you may be saved, you're not enjoying your salvation like you should because you don't have righteousness awareness. We're not done. We'll cover the rest of this in our next section. Welcome back. I'm glad you're here for this third part of this very important message on righteousness awareness. And it's one thing to have the gift of righteousness. A lot of people have it, but they're not aware of it. They don't enjoy the righteousness. They're not fully convinced that they are righteous. And so I want to share with you some things that will help you to become and to stay aware of your righteousness. First of all, you'll never develop a sense of righteousness until you speak. If you don't do some speaking, you will not develop a sense of righteousness. The accuser of the brethren wants to rob you of your righteousness awareness. This is really Satan's chief work. Uh, The number one thing that he does is he accuses us before the throne of God. I'm going to read that to you in just a minute, the book of Revelation. But remember what I said about righteousness. It, It happens in two places. First of all, Jesus cleansed our sins in heaven where he took his own blood and wiped away all the accusations that were against the human race. And he cleansed the sin there. And then secondly, when we receive him, the sin is taken from our hearts. So if Satan is the opposite of Christ and he is the accuser of the brethren, Jesus the redeemer of the brethren, Satan is working in two places. He's accused the brothers in heaven before God and then also in our own hearts he has tried to accuse us and he tries to lie and attack us. I want to read to you from the book of Revelation. This is chapter 12 and verse 10. Uh, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So this is a future time when Satan is removed from this world. And listen to what it says, verse 11, And they overcame him, the brothers did, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they were willing to die for their faith. So they were so thrilled with this faith that they had and this replacing God that they had. Even if they had to die for it, they were totally okay with that. All condemnation begins with Satan. I'm not saying that if you feel condemned about something that the devil's sitting on your shoulder and he's the one that's telling you all this. But, but r- really all of the sense of inferiority and condemnation and a consciousness of sin, that all starts with the devil. He's the one that originated all of those things. But the people who overcame Satan overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Now, this is interesting to me. In the beginning... The first person in the Bible who is described as being righteous is Abel. 
according to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, he's the first one who is called righteous. He's the son of Adam. He is the one whose sacrifice, the sacrifice of a lamb, was what was received from God or by God. And God showed that he received it probably by sending fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. So God testified right then and there. He accepted Abel's gift. From that time and forward, Jesus was destined to become the Lamb of God. That's why when God gave the first ordinances of sacrifice to the children of Israel in Passover, it was a lamb that was to be slain. Then when Jesus shows up at John's baptism, John speaks by the Spirit of God, points at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The whole idea of Jesus being a lamb is this. He has to become our substitute. He has to die like a sheep would die, without protest, without fighting, willingly laying down its life. That's how he died. And he did this in order for you and I to go free. So they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. The work of Christ at Calvary is what sets us free from the power of Satan. But that's not the only thing. That is the legal thing that worked. But all of our salvation involves two operations. There is that which is legal and there is that which is vital. And let me explain it like this. Let us suppose that someone wanted to bless you and went and put a large sum of money in an account for you at a certain bank. And they made the stipulation that if you walked into the bank and brought proper identification, you could claim this money. It's totally yours. It would legally be yours, but until you go and vitally lay claim to it, it is not yours. You have to do that which is vital. Christ did that which is legal. So there are two sides to the salvation. There is the giving, then there is the receiving. In our last lesson, we talked about the acknowledging. That's the receiving. How do you sign for it? How do you accept? You accept God's gifts with a verbal communication. The righteousness of faith speaks that if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, God raised him from the dead, whether you believe it or say it uh, or not. He raised him from the dead. Legally, Christ died for our sins. Legally, he was raised from the dead. It is when we vitally confess this and believe this that we receive Two sides to this. So God sees you as righteous, but you may not feel righteous because you're not doing what you need to do vitally to receive your righteousness. Legally, you're righteous. Vitally, you don't feel it. So it's because of something lacking on your part. You're not acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Philemon 6 is where we see that. Now, we have to have word in our testimonies. The devil is overcome by the word of their testimony. What was the word of their testimony? 
Were they bragging about all the good works they'd done? Were they bragging about uh, all the codes they had kept? No, they're bragging about the blood of the Lamb. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What were they testifying to? Christ shed His blood. He is the Lamb for us. Now, Gideon is a great example for us to consider. Now, Israel has a covenant with God. They have a legal covenant with God because they are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made a covenant with that family. He reinforced that family. He promised to do all kinds of amazing things for that family. But the children of Israel started doing evil things, and as they did these evil things, they vitally began to experience uh, oppression. The Midianites came and oppressed them for seven long years. Took all of their food. Every time harvest season came, the new babies are born. Uh, the Midianites came and just grabbed up all the crops, all the animals, all of this stuff. So God has to redeem them and bring them out from under this. Now, they legally have the covenant, but they are vitally not experiencing the blessing. So listen to Judges chapter 6. And verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Ibezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now, there was nothing in Gideon's past to suggest that he was a mighty man of valor. There was nothing in Gideon's past to suggest that he had any kind of strength. But the angel said two things. He said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And then he said, go in this strength of yours. Now, in other words, Gideon had legal access because he was a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's an Israelite. But he didn't have vital blessing until he started acknowledging what God had done. He had to disavow Baal. First thing he did is tear down a statue of Baal that existed in his little town. Uh, then he began to confess what God had said. And too many people do not have a sense of righteousness because they never verbally confess, they never acknowledge what it is that Christ did for them. God said good things about Gideon to empower him and to liberate him from condemnation. Now listen, righteousness affects your behavior, but it is not attained by behavior. Righteousness is free to you, but it is not inexpensive. Righteousness overcomes sin, but it doesn't ignore sin. Righteousness is not boastful, but neither is it timid. 
if you're going to have this sense of righteousness and righteousness awareness, you're going to have to speak. Romans 10, 6, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Well, that's all the time we have for this series, but there will be more. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.